Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing this show for a while, I often think to myself, holy moly, we could not be more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, and scared to death when Amy says she has an idea because that usually spells trouble. (laughs) I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover, and maybe even if you aren't. I'm a dog collector, a Diet Coke addict. I recently discovered I like figs and I've eaten a whole container of them and I treat a good yard sale like it's a national treasure. Despite these differences, I don't love figs. We both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week we chat about what we're reading as well as other bookish things like authors in the news, recent book to film adaptations, weird stuff we've Googled while reading, and our TBR count. We're so glad you've joined us. So this week, we are featuring books by Latino authors in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. You know, I realized as we were planning this episode that this is an area where I have a deficit in my reading and I need to work on it. But what I will say is that the books that I'm going to recommend today are books that I adored. I gave them five stars. They were almost all five stars for me, but I just don't have as many books as I would like in my red repertoire. So in addition, so we're going to give you, you know, our normal what we've been reading, books in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, and also because September is, we share a birthday month. We're a week apart. We are a week apart. A week and a year Mm -hmm. apart in our ages. And so we are also going to give you a birthday adjacent, you know, I love that word, adjacent. (laughs) We're going to give you a birthday adjacent book recommendation. So all sorts of books that we're talking about this time. Carrie, you turned 50. Happy birthday. Thank you. I got my shingle shot before I I came over. I hope I don't start running a fever. I know before you even leave here. Feverish. Yeah, that would be good. And your birthday gift uh, from me was that I didn't get you anything because you were (laughs) anti stuff. I I don't like stuff too much. And so I did get you a birthday card about a month ago that was perfect for you, but I currently cannot find it, maybe because I have too much stuff. (laughs) I often put things in places in a safe, I'm using that in air quotes, in a safe place, and then I can't find it again. I I have done that one time. I did that with a safe deposit key, Oh, and I had to pay $100 so they could unlock it. And I learned my lesson. Don't so put it in I don't a safe do that. place. Don't put things in safe places. Maybe you'll get that birthday card next year. Maybe. Hey, if I'm lucky. Maybe I'll get it for Valentine's Day. Maybe. You could really surprise me. I could. So we celebrate it in honor yes. of Hispanic Heritage Month and our birthday. Yes. Right before recording this, we went and had dinner at Havana Rumba here in Louisville. Mm-hmm. It is a Cuban a restaurant. It's been around for quite a while. Yeah. It's one of our go-to restaurants. We always... Love the food there. But you know what? My husband and I, he sent this article to me and I had already read it, but it was in the New York Times, I don't know, like maybe a month ago. And it was about how Louisville is the fastest growing Cuban immigrant community in the country right now, Hmm. which was surprising to both of us. I don't know why it was so surprising because there we do have a lot of Cuban restaurants, but I kind of thought that they were all owned by the same large extended family. And apparently I'm wrong, Mm. but we do have a lot of Cuban restaurants and apparently quite a large Cuban population. 
I need to find some of them so they can help me improve my Spanish because my Spanish is horrible. I mean, I, I try, I do my pathetic, you know, Spanish when I'm talking to students where English is not their native language. And they just kind of look at me and grin. I'm like, I'm trying, kids. I know. It's like, <laughs> do they talking. think it's funny? They do think it's funny. I mean, I think they, I think they appreciate that I'm, I'm trying, but they also look at me like, man, my two-year-old cousin talks better than you. <laughs> So I wanted to share some feedback that we got from a listener who sent us an email. Oh, and by the way, if you would like to send us an email, just go to our website and there's a a contact link on there. This listener wanted us to know that what we recommend really does resonate with listeners. She said that she just finished The Highland Witch by Susan Fletcher, which Carrie recommended on our episode about Scotland and books about and destinations. Was the title. And she said that she really enjoyed it. She said, I was a bit skeptical at first, but when Mr. Leslie started to visit her and interpret her tale, I thought it was a neat way to tell a story. I know some of this from the Outlander series, but this was well told, and I will recommend it to my book-loving friends, along with your podcast, which I already do. Thanks. So thank you, book nerd from from Boise, Idaho. We appreciate (laughs) your comments. I always like to hear from, I always like to hear from our listeners. Amy really likes to hear from our listeners. I do love it. I do love it. It makes my day. An email might get a that's great out of me. That's as, as excited as I get. I'm like, well, oh, that's nice. But Amy is like glowing. I'm like, so, it's so awesome. Uh, I just, because I like people. I just like talking to people. I like hearing so what much they, like people. No, you don't really no, like people that much. So much. We, we do have some bookish news, mainly about one of our former guests who uh, was at the end of season eight, Vicki Johnson, who wrote the children's book Molly's Tuxedo, which is about a um, a little girl named Molly who it's it, she's in kindergarten. It's her first picture day and her mom wants her to wear a dress and it just doesn't feel right. And what she wants to wear is her older brother's tuxedo. You could interpret it as a story about a child who doesn't love girly dresses and wants to uh, wear more tomboyish clothes. Mm-hmm. You could interpret interpret that book. Uh, when I read it, I thought about my son who has sensory issues. So he is really particular about what he wears and finding clothes that feel good on him is a nightmare and, and really difficult. And so as a parent, I was like, man, if I could find anything that this kid will feel comfortable in, I'm happy for him to wear it. So there's lots of different ways that you could kind of look at the story but i saw that vicky johnson wrote on her social media that she was going to have her first school visit uh, it was at an elementary school she was going to be visiting with a couple hundred kids where she was going to read her book and for national school picture day and 240 books that were being donated and shipped to the school by a local nonprofit and the school abruptly canceled her event. They didn't give her any reasons why they canceled it. She suspects it might be what she called soft censorship. But I thought that that was important to report back. Because when we talked to her, we we asked her a little bit if she was concerned about some pushback on her book, even though it could be read in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. And her book wasn't quite out yet. And so she was somewhat concerned. But she's also... Uh, has some help from GLAD, which is a an organization that helps 
gay and lesbians uh, and their families and helps promote LGBTQ in the arts and all kinds of things. So I kind of hated to hear that. Yeah. I'm, I have to admit, I'm not terribly surprised, but I hated to hear it nonetheless. Yeah. Well, speaking of censorship, Carmichael's bookstore oh, yeah. is going to have a banned books trivia night here in Louisville on October 4th. Goes from, I think, 6.30 to 8. Mm-hmm. And we have already signed up. What are we call- What did I call us? We're the perky book lovers? Something like um, that. I can't even remember. But we'd love for, you know, anybody who would like to join and be part of our team for yeah. this Carmichael's Band Books Trivia Night. We would love for you to participate. So... Uh, Contact think, us. Yeah. I think, have you posted something? I did post something on our Facebook, uh, but you can always just reach out through there or through Instagram. I'll probably post something on there. If you listen to our last week's episode, you know that, you know. Tri- <laughs> don't expect to win. Don't expect to win, <laughs> but have lots of fun. So <laughs> there you go. So um, so you recently watched a, a book to film adaptation. I did. So I was visiting my son. And while he was at work one evening, I watched a movie with his partner. And I had never heard of this movie before. She wanted to see it. And I'm like, okay, fine. I don't watch a lot of movies at home. It was called Arrival. It's from 2016. It starred Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. It's a sci-fi movie. It's a about these spaceship type things but they don't look like spaceships. they don't look like spaceships they kind of look like gigantic were they egg shape or rectangle they kind of look like a mango seed okay you know kind of like long and thin elongated but they're huge like they're they take up part of the sky yeah and they stand end on end Mm -hmm. uh and there's 12 of them that have landed in different places around the world so in the opening of the movie, Forrest Whitaker plays this army general who comes to Amy Adams, who is a linguistics professor and expert, and asks her if she thinks that she can translate this alien language. She goes to one of the sites that's in the United States. I think it's in Montana. Jeremy Renner plays like this astrophysicist guy who works with her and they're just trying to figure out why the aliens are there and what they want. So she's trying to learn their language and communicate with them. It was kind of a fascinating movie. You like mind bendy Mm -hmm. and this was definitely a mind bendy movie. Well, you had sent me and said, you ought to see this. I'm like, I already have. I know. I'm like, okay, well then that makes sense because I don't want to spoil anything, but the reason that the aliens are there is kind of a mind-bendy reason. I can't really say any more than that. But it's not really, it's not gross. There's no... Um, it's not scary. No, it's not scary. It's, it's just, it takes your perception of time and turns it on its head. When I looked up some more information about this film, I discovered that it was based on a 1998 short story called Story of Your Life by science fiction writer Ted Chiang. And I know that he's had several popular short story science fiction collections out in the last probably five to 10 years. So if you're a science fiction person, you might want to go back and 
maybe I, if it's a short story, maybe I will even go back and read it. If I can find it somewhere on its own, I don't know that I want to buy a whole book just to read it. But I really enjoyed this movie and I told you about it. I told other people about it. I just thought it was really good. So there's my my movie recommendation. As far as what we've been watching, we've been watching a lot of like new seasons of things we've been continuing to watch. Yeah. Same with us. Yeah. Um, but I will say one that we've particularly liked is After Party. I think I talked about the first season. It's on Apple Plus. They have a new season out and it is a sort of it's a murder mystery show, kind of like a closed room murder mystery like Agatha Christie. Tiffany Haddish plays the police detective and they're trying to solve a murder. And when she interviews each of the suspects, they tell their story. But when they tell their story, it's in a different movie genre. It's kind of interesting. I actually like the second season better than I liked the first season. You know, one of the episodes, it was in the it was in the form of a Bridgerton or like a, <laughs> a Regency romance mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. One of them was noir and it was in black and white mm-hmm. and they're half hour episodes. It's a comedy. We enjoy them. So if you want something like that, maybe check out After Party on Apple Plus. So I guess now we need to talk about What have you been reading, Carrie? I recently finished. This was a book that had been on my list for a while. Our Wives Under the Sea by Mm. Julia Armfield. And I had no expectations of what this book was about. It is a novel about a woman named Miri whose wife, Leah, goes on a deep sea mission. So she's kind of a, not a marine biologist, but something marine scientifically minded. So, and this is told in rotating chapters. So Miri has a chapter and then Leah has a chapter and back and forth. And you never fully understand what happens to Leah. Like you never find out what exactly happened to her when she was under the sea. But it seems like being stuck in really, really, really deep ocean depths has changed her dramatically, both physically and mentally. Like, nobody ever explains it to you, so you're just left to imagine it. She's just not the same woman that Miri married. And so Miri recounts her struggle to adapt to, first of all, she has to adapt to Leah's long absence. So Leah was only supposed to be gone, like, three weeks, and she was gone, like, six months. And then when Leah returns, which she sort of got to the point where she didn't expect her to return at all. But then when she returns, Miri struggles with trying to adapt to this new person who is very different, uh, you know, acts different and physically her body's changing. It's very strange. So it's, it's very bizarre. I mean, it's a very bizarre book, but it's also a very relatable story about doing what's best for the person you love. And how, you know, you can be in a long-term relationship with somebody and they change. And how do you, how do you grapple with that? So it's called, again, Our Wives Under the Sea by Julie Armfield. Definitely kind of sci-fi, but also, again, relatable. Hmm. So. Very good. What, what about you? Well, when I was reading books that were set in New York City, there was one that was on my list that I didn't read while I was there, but decided to pick up when I got home. It's called Fever by Mary Beth Keene. And this is a historical fiction novel that is about the life of Mary Milan, who we may know as Typhoid Mary. Mm. 
So Mary Milan was an Irish immigrant who came to the U.S. like in the late 1800s. She was, she was a teenager. So she first worked as a washerwoman. But what she really loved doing was cook because her mother and her aunts had taught her how to cook and she had a talent for that. And so she started taking jobs in wealthy families, cooking for them. And oftentimes someone would, you know, come down with a fever in the house, sometimes more than one person. But if you think back at that time, they didn't necessarily even have antibiotics. People were coming down with fevers and coming down sick a lot of times. They could have just been sinful. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> I mean, that's what they would have thought. Right, exactly. Or something, you know, something like that. There's a miasma coming from the river. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And oh my god. In fact, they talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit in here. Because everything was so, like, people put their garbage outside. Yeah. It was so smelly and there was sewage and everything. So at one point, though, there is what they called a medical engineer, I think that's what they called him, which is basically sort of like what would be the equivalent of like a public health investigator or officer now. And they sort of track down that they think that she might have been the cause of these some of these fevers, which turned out to be typhoid. So they they captured her without warning her or telling her And they quarantined her for several years off this island, off of New York City. And she stayed there. She she got a lawyer who helped her get her freedom back. But the stipulation was she couldn't cook. Like she could do any other job, but but she could be free as long as she didn't cook. But the thing was that at that time, there weren't that many things for an uneducated single woman to do. She wasn't married. She was living with a man, but he was an alcoholic. So it goes a lot into her personal life. So she starts out again trying. She's a washerwoman, but she hates it. She's tried some other things. And she cooks for some of the people in her apartment building. And they said how good it was. And one of the women said, why don't you work, you know, as a baker? Okay, so I have a question here. Yeah. I understand public health as mm-hmm. we understand it now. Mm-hmm. So had she just washed her hands really well, would she have still passed typhoid? Probably. Does it ever say that? I mean, okay. part of it was at that time, like I think healthcare professionals were washing their hands, mm-hmm. you know. But the general public But the wasn't. general public wasn't washing their hands Honestly, as much. Honestly, the general public now isn't <laughs> right. washing their hands. Well, and the other thing was she was never, so the, here's the, another crux of the story was that she was never actually sick herself. She was an asymptomatic carrier. And they later discovered there were lots of people who were asymptomatic carriers, but they treated her a little bit differently because she was an unmarried woman who was living in sin with a man because they also found a farmer in upstate New York who was a dairy farmer. They found he was an asymptomatic carrier, but they didn't quarantine him because he was a father and he was the breadwinner for his family. So she was treated she was definitely treated mm-hmm. differently. Um, but it did, ma- it did make me wonder, because I asked my husband, who's a physician, do people get typhoid now? He said, it's very, very, very rare. I mean, I know it can happen, like, say there's flooding or something like that. Mm-hmm. It can happen, you know, when sanitation con- conditions are not right. good. But, you know, if right. you have the sewage systems and clean mm-hmm. running water the way we do, it's probably not going to happen. 
There were a couple of things that I found interesting about this book. One is that basically she had to sign something saying, I will never again do the thing that I love to do the most. Mm -hmm. So, you know, would your freedom be worth that? Maybe, maybe not. That's a decision she has to make. Another thing is they were able to take her without, you know, at least with if you're in prison, you've had a trial. Mm -hmm. She didn't even have that. And so this book sort of, I think, humanizes her. I think when people hear the term typhoid Mary, they assume that she she was some horrible person who was intentionally in, getting people sick. Intentionally getting people sick. And this book, well, I would I wouldn't say that it makes her an angel. I think it shows you why she made some of the decisions that well, she, she probably had to, did. She had to survive. Yeah. So again, um, I would recommend this book. I found it really interesting, especially if you like historical fiction and if you're like Carrie and like things about diseases, she loves a good book about disease, uh, then you should try Fever by Mary Beth Keene. Well, and it's bacterial, so it's now can be treated by antibiotics. And there's also a partly preventable vaccine, according to the Mayo Clinic. Okay. Well, and as far as like, if you're worried about getting typhoid, if you cook your food, it's not an issue at all. So what they think she was doing was when she would make ice cream or custards or puddings or things like that, or like if she would touch fruit, those were the things that they Mm. think probably were making people sick. Mm. Not the things that she was baking or cooking all the way through. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that we need to get ready We need to get ready. We need to take a break, take a deep breath, and jump into Latin America. We are back and celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, which goes till like mid-October, I think. Carrie, you need to read us the definition of what qualifies, (laughs) because you did this for AAPI Month. You need to tell us exactly what the stipulations are. Would you like me to tell you in Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> Not in Spanish, In Spanish, please. or no. I will tell you in English. Okay, so, okay, so Hispanic Heritage Month runs from September 15th to October 15th, and it's a time to recognize, uh, this is from the U.S. Department of Education, celebrate the contributions and cultures and histories of American Latino community. So when we talk about that, Latin American countries, that's Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua. So, uh, but then there's also um, Mexico, Chile, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands. So lots of different countries where people, that is where their family is from, whether on their mother's side or their father's side or on both sides or whatever. Okay. Very so good. Th- just a just a brief overview. I'll go first. All right. The book that I'm going to talk about is a book of poetry. It's a it's a story told in verse. It is The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. She has written several books that are really excellent and several more that I haven't read yet that I want to read. But this is a book about Ziamara who is a young girl she's trying to she's trying to just survive being a teenager and she writes poetry which is it helps her process her frustration um with her family and a lot of her frustration stems from her rebellion against catholicism 
which Catholicism is very important to her mother, but not so much to Ziamara. And so they butt heads over this. And eventually, Ziamara joins the Slam Poetry Club at school. And when she does that, her world sort of opens up. So as a person who was raised Catholic and had my own rebellions, uh, this felt very uh, relatable to me. Even You know, I read it as an adult, but I still was like, yeah, <laughs> I still have some of these issues. So it, it felt like a very empowering read. So good for adults, but also good for teenagers who understand that struggle of just trying to get through those years in high school. The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. Well, I also have a YA one. This is called Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Sines. This is a real gem of a novel. Uh, it focuses on a friendship between two Mexican-American boys in the 1980s, Aristotle and Dante. And it's all about them trying to figure out who they are as teenagers in relation to their parents, to their sexualities, to the secrets that that everybody keeps, but those secrets can often lead to dysfunction and pain. And those are the secrets that they're trying to unlock, right? So the dialogue in this book felt really real and true to me. And the author took real care with his characters and the subject matter. And I must say that this is a phenomenal audiobook. Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton fame narrates it. Total, total five-star book for me. I don't often have book hangovers, but I remember after I listened to this one, I just like couldn't start another one for a while because it was just so good. And isn't there a sequel? There is, which I have not read. Okay. Yeah, there is definitely a sequel. But again, the name of this one is Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by Benjamin Allier Signs. All right. So my next one, I just finished this like a week and a half ago or so. So... For a while, I couldn't figure out why this author's name was familiar to me, but I finally figured out. So the book I'm going to talk about is Why Didn't You Tell Me by Carmen Rita Wong. It, uh, on the occasions when I listen to podcasts, I really like the ones about economics and finance and stuff. Okay, so I used to listen to, a lot more frequently than I do now, Marketplace with Kai Rizdahl. And... I believe that is where I first heard her because she wrote for Money Magazine and she was a commentator. So she narrates her book. So it was kind of great because I was familiar with her voice. Why Didn't You Tell Me is Carmen Rita Wong's memoir about her life as the child of a Dominican woman and what she thought was a Chinese man. Her last name is Wong after all. But Later, she discovers that Poppy Wong, her Chinese father, isn't her real father. So who is it? Well, you think you know, and she thinks she knows. But then maybe, you know, she discovers that that isn't right either. As I said, I had heard uh, her from being a writer and a commentator. And she writes about her experience, not just figuring out who she literally is, but also her mom, she and, and Poppy got divorced and uh, her mom and her stepdad moved to New Hampshire. So Carmen moved from Harlem 
to the middle of New Hampshire. Wow, that's got to be a uh, <laughs> that culture was a, shock. Yeah, big culture shock for her. And, you know, she was sort of having to navigate this world where she never truly felt like she fit in because she was Dominican, but she was also thought she was Chinese. So she didn't totally fit in with her Dominican family members. And then she didn't totally fit in with her Chinese family members. And then when her mom remarried, she didn't fit in with all the white people up in New Hampshire. And so it's about her making her way through life and and figuring things out. So again, it's Why Didn't You Tell Me by Carmen Rita Wong. Well, I'm going to match your memoir with a memoir of my own. Uh, This is called Ghetto Clown. Clown is spelled with a K. Mm. By John Leguizamo, who... Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's an actor, he's a comedian, he's written several plays that have been on Broadway. Uh, And this is a graphic novel. And most importantly, he is the voice... Yes. ...of... I can't remember what the character is. In Ice Age? Yeah. The little um, weasel thing? Yeah! Yeah, I can't think of his name, but yes, he is. Yes, he is. I love him. This is a graphic novel, and it's illustrated by Krista Cassano and Seamus Bayale. And it's it's an adaptation of his award-winning Broadway play of the same name. Uh, It's a memoir of his life as an immigrant to the United States when he moved there with his parents when he was an infant from Colombia. He wrote a play trying to document and make sense of his life from... His infancy up into being middle-aged, how he went from being a troubled kid in Queens to being a very successful actor, comedian, and playwright. And he dishes some, you know, gossipy, I don't know if it's gossipy, some interesting encounters that he had with other movie stars and directors, like the time he almost got into a physical fistfight altercation with Patrick Swayze. Uh, there's There's some... There's some interesting things in there about some of his stupid mistakes he made and how he persevered. This is definitely a graphic novel for adults. I mean, there's a lot of R-rated adult things in there. So this is not a graphic novel for kids. But in the foreword of the book, he says something that I thought was really interesting. He says that he thinks that graphic novel medium is the perfect medium for this story. Because he says you can travel to places visually that you can't achieve on stage and experience inner states that even movies can't quite capture. Hmm. And so, you know, I don't read as many graphic novels as you. It's a fairly new genre for me to read, but I am beginning to appreciate them more and more. And him saying this about this book, I had never really thought about that as graphic novels being a medium for some types of stories that might work better than others. It does have some funny moments in it, It's called Ghetto Clown, Clown with a K. He played Sid. Sid, that's it. Sid. (laughs) I love Sid. Yeah. Sid, who has a lisp. Yeah. (laughs) But he has a really tender relationship with his grandfather. He had a really rough relationship with his father. His mother was a little dicey, maybe. Anyway, but it was interesting to see how he got where he is. So, okay. What about yours? All right. So I've talked about this one before, but it's really a good book. It won a Newbery Award. It's The Last Quintista by Barbara Donna Higuera. And so it's a sci-fi book for middle school students. And you see a lot of fantasy books for middle school, but sci-fi, maybe not so much. So when I read it, I was not expecting it to be sci-fi. So I was pleasantly surprised. So it's about a girl who leaves Earth on a spaceship with her family because the planet is dying. And she's put, 
you know, because they're having to travel all these light years. She and her family are put into long-term sleep. But when she awakens, she discovers that the plan for what was supposed to happen, they sort of had information downloaded into their brains so that they had these skills. So when they woke up, they had all these skills that they would be able to do. Well, when she wakes up, the plan that they thought was the plan is no longer the plan. Everything's different. So the the spaceship has sort of been hijacked. Oh. More or less, when she is woken up, she's sort of considered a robot and therefore expendable. You know, you read this book and, and she's like, where's my mom? Where's my dad? Where's my younger brother? Well, you're going to have to read the book to find out what has happened to all of those. But it was a really compelling sci-fi book. And again, it is geared toward middle grade students, but a really good read for adults too. It's called The Last Quintista by Barbara Donna Higuera. Okay. Got any sci-fi? I don't have any sci-fi, but definitely magical realism, which Mm. is something that I really love about Hispanic fiction, especially. And in fact, the whole term magical realism apparently comes from Hispanic literature because we interviewed an author who is an Appalachian writer but her fiction guess would be fantasy but it it's a regular our regular world with some fantastical features in it but when we asked her about magical realism she said she does not like to call her writing that because she felt like that belonged with where it originated which was with Hispanic literature I love magical realism and one of my favorites is murmur of bees by sophia segovia we read it in our book club a couple years ago it was actually during the pandemic i remember it's the only book i've ever chosen for book club that people like you know why it's because i suggested it to you (laughs) (laughs) this is another five-star book for me uh it's set in mexico right at the time of the great influenza of 1918 and the mexican revolution when those two things are sort of striking the country and it's a story of one family the moraleses who they flee the city they're a wealthy family they flee the city to go to their country manor to escape the illness the flu that's ravaging And so while they're there, an old woman who's been working with the family for years as a nanny finds a strange child on the road, and the child is covered in bees. This boy's named Simonopio, uh, and he's not harmed by the bees, even though it looks kind of grotesque that he's covered in them. But he sort of uses them almost like a superpower. These bees protect him, and in turn, Simonopio protects the Morales family, and they adopt him as their child, even though the townspeople say that they should banish him because they think he's probably cursed. This is sort of like an epic family story. It's just a lovely, lovely book. And the character of Simonopio is like no character I've actually ever read about since. And our book club liked it so much that Carrie, because she had some time on her hands with COVID, she crocheted all of us a little bee ornament. Mm-hmm. Our Simonopia ornament. Back in the good old days when I had time to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, the name of that is The Murmur of Bees by Sofia Segovia. And that one is actually a book in translation. She is a Mexican author. And um, so if you're doing one of those reading challenges where you need a book in translation, 
you could read this one. Okay, next one for you. All right. So uh, this book, I think I talked about it in season seven, uh, but it's called The Kissing Bug, A True Story of a Family, an Insect, and a Nation's Neglect of a Deadly Disease by Daisy Hernandez. So Daisy Hernandez writes about her aunt. Her her family came from Colombia, and her aunt dealt with this strange disease for many years of her life. The disease basically sort of made her intestines. I mean, intestines are already kind of weird and wiggly, but it sort of made her intestines dissolve in in a sense. I mean, they didn't totally fall apart, but they would lose their rigidity. I don't know. It's very strange. Well, eventually her aunt was diagnosed with Chagas disease. And that is a disease that infects people via parasite. It's a small bug called the kissing bug that can be found in Latin American countries, but increasingly it's being found in the U.S. And and it may go even further afield because of climate change. So many people never experience any symptoms. It's kind of like a lot of diseases that are transmitted, you know, in general, like some people don't have any symptoms. And some people who do develop symptoms Typically, they would have heart problems and heart problems that are so bad they would need a heart transplant. But then some people, this, you know, like definitely not a lot of people experience intestinal issues like Hernandez's aunt. So, you know, I love a good disease book and this one fits the bill. It discusses the impact that this disease, you know, most people haven't heard of this, but it's a disease that can really impact new immigrants who come to the U.S. They don't know that they have this condition until it until it turns their lives upside down. But, you know, in the book, it talks about how these bugs are increasingly being found in Texas. And so, you know, it, it might be something that over time, people who are from the United States begin experiencing um, issues because of Chagas disease. So, you know, I had never heard of it, but now now I know what it is. So if, if you're interested in disease, if you're interested in, you know, things that impact immigrant populations, this would be a good book to check out. Okay, Amy, what's what's your next book? I have a picture book. This book is called The Last Stop on Market Street by Matt De La Pena, and it's illustrated by Christian Robinson. I don't read a lot of uh, picture books, but... When there's a good one, it, it has a special place in my heart because I hope to eventually be a grandma, right? And so I like the idea of having some really good picture books around. And a really good picture book could be as good for an adult as it is a kid, you know, because you might get different things out of it. So this is a book that tells the story of a little boy named CJ and his grandmother. And she comes to pick him up from school and they are making their way home. And along the way, CJ He's kind of asking his his nana some questions. He's he's like a little bit dissatisfied with things like why can't we do this or why don't we have this? And he asks his nana things like why we don't have a car like the other kids do or why CJ doesn't have headphones like the kids on the bus or why their neighborhood looks sort of run down compared to others. And his grandmother always frames things in the positive. So, for example, he asks, why don't we have a car? And his grandmother says, what do we need a car for? We've got a bus that breathes fire, an old Mr. Dennis who has a trick for you. So she's, you know, kind of taking the idea of a bus and making it into a dragon, you know, which is kind of fun. And then, you know, he says, why does their neighborhood look crumbling and broken down? And his Nana says, Sometimes when you're surrounded by dirt, 
you are better at witnessing what is beautiful. So this is just a a lovely little book that is about the power of the positive, of positive thinking. Um, And this book won a Caldecott Medal and a Newbery Award in 2016. This duo has teamed up to do another picture book called Carmela Full of Wishes. Um, And so uh, if you were looking for a picture book for a young person in your life or just even for yourself, give Last Stop on Market Street by Matt De La Pena a try. Or if you're trying to get that uh, Goodreads total up for your Goodreads (laughs) challenge. Okay, what's next for you, Carrie? So this is a book I've listened to as an audiobook. It's called In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. And she wrote, I have not read this book, but it has been on my list. She is the author of Her Body and Other Parties. Mm-hmm. Probably heard of that one. That was a finalist for the National Book Award. So this book, In the Dream House, it's kind of hard to describe. So it is a memoir. It is about her being abused by her I think it was her girlfriend at the time. But it's not told as a straight memoir. It is a memoir, but it's told almost like a series of essays or criticism. And so the way she looks at abuse is almost like how you would describe film or literature. It's a very hard book to describe. It's a very hard book to wrap your head around. So like... Part sociology, part memoir. Some parts of it felt like a little bit like poetry, and parts of it felt almost like analysis or criticism. So she's she's playing with form. She's playing with form in a lot of ways. And I, you know, as again, I listened to it as an audiobook, and I'm thinking now that I probably would have maybe understood more of it had I read it, Um, just because it does sort of encompass a lot of genre mixing but i thought it was interesting and you know i'm not gay and so you know i think sometimes you know you you sort of think about things in terms of how your life is so i don't really think about oh that abuse can happen in all kinds of relationships not just male female relationships and so that felt a little bit like oh you know eye opening even though it seems sort of obvious, but again, you know what you know, and you don't think about what other people's lives are. So again, that's In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Okay, my last one is, I think it's probably the very first book that I read that had magical realism in it and made me discover that that is something that I really like. House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende. This is a sweeping epic of a book that follows three generations of the Trueba family, their Chilean family, full of eccentric characters. And it focuses mainly on the females from post-World War I up to 1973. But it's the main character, 90-year-old Esteban Chueba, who tells the story along with his granddaughter. And so there's political intrigue and also some magical realism. Some have said that this is an autobiographical novel for Allende's family, although I don't know if she ever really confirmed that. I love this book when I read it. And like I said, it introduced me to magical realism as a thematic choice in Latino literature. In fact, I'd really like to reread this one. It's been a long time. I read it probably in my 
late 20s, early 30s. You know, I remember the feeling I had reading it, how much I enjoyed it, but I'd be interested to try it again. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is another pick for 2024. I I think it's thick. I Uh, think it's big. mm, I'd have to go back and see how many pages it is. Uh, But uh, so this is another five star read for me. So I guess I'm going for quality over quantity in my Hispanic fiction. I really love the ones that I read, but I want to read more. Um, okay, so we have each a birthday book. We do. Yeah. The one that I am throwing out there into the ring is called Lots of Candles, Plenty of Cake, a Memoir by Anna Quinlan. Um, some of you may know Anna Quinlan. She was a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. She's written fiction. She's written nonfiction. A lot of people know her from Black and Blue. That was a fictional book she wrote about spousal abuse. This book, though, is a memoir in essays that explores what becoming, I'm putting this in air quotes, an older woman entails. So when she's writing this, she's turned 60. She's sort of looking back on her on her life as a woman and things she appreciates about being the age she is now. And when I first read this, I was like maybe in my mid 40s, early 40s. And I remember thinking that I wasn't quite there, like to the age she was. I wasn't in the same time of life. But I appreciated how wise she seemed and that I hope that I feel as at peace as Anna Quinlan does with her life as she appears in this book. So the funny thing is now I'm sort of, I'm not 60, I'm I'm 51, but I'm at the point in my life where I'm experiencing some of the things that she talked about. So she talks about how important your girlfriends are as you age, um, about parenting your adult children, about the stuff you collect in your home over the years that you realize doesn't mean anything. And why, why have you kept it? And my favorite, how we grow more confident as we age and more comfortable in our own skin. So it's a gem of a book for the, for a person of the right age. Like I said, I read it in my 40s and I appreciated it. I don't think I would have appreciated it in my 20s. So I don't think it's a book for a 20-year-old or maybe not even a 30-year-old because you're just not there there yet, yet, right? Also, uh, it's great on audio. I listen to it. She narrates it. Highly recommend. Again, the name is Lots of Candles, Plenty of Cake, a memoir by Anna Quinlan. Well, I have a book about cake, but it's not about like... This is, if it's the book I'm thinking of, this is a weird book about cake. It's a weird book. It is a weird book about cake. Uh, Not about birthdays, but it is about cake and aren't birthdays, you know... All about cake. All about cake. So this is called The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. And I don't know, did we read this for book club? Yes. Okay, a long time ago. So... I really love strange stories. Yes, you do. Like, those are the ones that really stick with me. So this story is about a girl who can taste her mother's emotions in the cake that she makes. So her mother makes a lemon cake, and she can taste her mother's kind of her despair in this cake. And the the protagonist in this story develops an ability to taste the emotions of anyone and everyone who sort of makes food. She can taste her mother's desperation and her brother's disconnection from the world. And if memory serves, he really disconnects from the world. Yes, like, he you does. Think, you think that her ability to taste people's emotions through eating is weird? Well, what happens to her brother is like, off the chain weird, but it, it's so cool. Anyway, food is no longer the same. And while it 
it does still provide, you know, the basic physical nourishment for her. It's sort of a curse that when she's way too young, she discovers things about the people she loves that she would rather not know. So if you like a book that is strange and is about cake, (laughs) then you might want to check out The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake by Amy Bender. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, but before we come back, we're going to have another book lover give us their five-star read recommendation. Hi, my name is Sierra Ray, also known by my Insta handle at Disappear Here Book Blog. I currently live in Northern Virginia. If you follow me on Instagram, you already know how much I love this book because I'm constantly recommending it, but Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Heron Blake is one of my favorite books. Both books in the series, Bright Falls, have received five stars from me, and the third book set to come out at the end of October. I first found this book in a local Virginia bookstore, Old Town Books, on a whim. It was on the recommended shelf, and I'm so glad I picked it up. Through a dual POV, we watched the relationship of Delilah and Claire blossom from a meet-cute in a bar to all in love. The best part, we get a spin on the brother's best friend trope because Claire is the best friend of Delilah's stepsister. Unsure if other people experience this, but oftentimes I've left wanting more in a romance because it feels so surface level. But Ashley Heron Blake brings a complexity of romance mixed with complicated family dynamics and personal character growth. From the moment I started this book, I was hooked and I haven't let go. We're back. Have there been any weird things that you've Googled lately or interesting things you've Googled lately because of a book? I am always Googling weird stuff when I'm reading a book. Like pretty much any book I read, there's going to be something in there that I Google. You do this a little bit more than me, or at least you keep track of it a little bit more than I do. So one of the things, you know, I talked about Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. And (laughs) this is a book that made me have all sorts of questions because the character in the book that goes on the deep sea mission, Leah, she comes back and she's very different. And in the book, they're going on a deep sea mission, but basically they get down to a certain depth and then everything shuts down except for like the oxygen. So they're able to breathe and they they have water. There's something about it like regenerates. So they have fresh water and they have enough food and they have oxygen, but they can't go back up. They can't ascend. And so they keep dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. It makes you go like, how deep can the human body actually go? So that's where my Googling came in. So if people are in a submarine, the deepest that they can go is about 4,000 feet, which isn't even a mile. It's like three quarters of a mile. But the deepest parts of the ocean are 36,000 feet deep. Wow. Um, Yeah. The deepest human crude dive that's taken place only went to 10,000 feet. It, It wasn't your basic submarine. It was like a special reinforced whatever transportation mode that took them to 10,000 feet. So that's only a third of the depth of the deepest parts of the ocean. I don't know what I was, maybe it was from this book. I can't remember, but it was talking about, so you remember Scott Kelly? He's now a senator in, I think, Arizona, but he was an astronaut, right? He has been in space the longest out of any person, I think I read this or heard it, 
And basically, if you're in space for a really long time, it really has serious health effects. Like he basically came back to Earth and immediately retired as an astronaut because it had such an impact on his body. If you think about it, you know, like we send people into space and you think about all the things that astronauts have to do and how the lack of gravity impacts their bodies. But we don't think about what the pressure of the ocean might do to people's bodies. You know, if they stayed underneath 10,000 feet for a prolonged period of time, like what would that do to their body? It was really fascinating, this book in general, and it, it doesn't ever answer the question of what happened, why was she there? And you're just, you're just using your imagination. But when you start actually looking up, like, how deep can people go? How deep have people gone? It's not that deep. <laughs> so we yeah. really haven't explored very much of the ocean. So I went down a bit of a rabbit hole looking up those types of things. Uh, it makes me think about that, that submersible that imploded. I don't know, was yes. that like earlier yeah, yeah, this yeah. summer, maybe? Yeah. Like, trying yeah. to go to the Titanic? Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Although they say that they think that it just imploded and they died immediately. And it wasn't yeah. like a, I remember when this happened at the time, I was worried that like they were stuck down there and they were just slowly running out of oxygen and knowing that they were going to die. And I thought that's kind of an awful death. I mean, it's horrible for their families. Absolutely. Yeah. When I saw pictures of what demonstrations of how fast an implosion would happen, I was like, wow, that is so quick. You almost miss it, how quick that implosion happens. Like everything's fine. And then instantaneously, everything's not fine. So anyway, okay. so that's what I Googled. Cool. So <laughs> what about, I have something that I'm loving right now. Oh boy. I mentioned this in my opener. I am loving on fresh figs. I love, <laughs> I love me a fresh fig and I never had them till probably three years ago. I mean, I've had fig Newtons, but those are dried figs those and they taste, gross. and they, that's it's my son Patrick's favorite cookie is a fig Newton. Um, I don't necessarily like him. I have horror nightmares about fig Newtons. Why? I don't really. They're just gross. Oh, I, I mean, they're okay. gross. They're not my favorite, but they're not if gross. If I'm going to put calories, if I'm going to eat a cookie, <laughs> it ain't going to be a fig Newton. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not talking about dried figs. Mm -hmm. I am talking about fresh figs. And I had one several years ago, and I loved it because they're sweet, but they're not too sweet. And if you bite into it, you can see all these little seeds in there. Did you know, this is not going to make you like them anymore. Mm -hmm. You can only get them this time. Maybe you can get them other times, but here in the East, you can only get them this time of year. And it's like for like a two-week period or something. I uh, one of the reasons that I decided that, that I was interested in trying figs was that I had heard that there are little dead wasps inside the figs. And then I was reading this article from Bon Appetit from a person who also was curious about that. And apparently most figs are self-pollinating and don't have this, but there are some varieties where female fig wasp, it's a specific type of wasp that has to pollinate these. And they go inside of the fig and all those little seeds are like little flowers that need to be pollinated. They pollinate those, they lay some eggs, but in order to get out, it tears off their wings and their uh, antennas because it's a, such a tight squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. And so there might be some little pieces of wasp in there. I just found that fascinating. Sounds delicious. Mm, mm. Protein. Man, 
You know that SNL skit where they have like the NPR host talking about whatever and they're so boring? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're verging on that talking about like figs. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but damn it, figs are good. Okay, what are you loving or hating? Okay, how about something that I am a little bit excited to do? What's that? So my birthday was Wednesday. And I had been thinking, I've been thinking this for a while. I've been hesitant to do it, but I said something to my husband and he got me a 23andMe kit so that I can find out where I'm from. Oh, that's cool. Or you'll find out things you don't want to know. Or I may find (laughs) out that my mom was hooking up with somebody else besides my daddy. I don't know. I don't think so. But I'm kind of excited to do that. I'm pretty white, so I'm I'm thinking Europe. My mom's side of the family, I think, is pretty German. My dad's side of the family, we're not sure. We don't know if it's France or Italy. So, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious at this point. I'd like to do it. But then when I read the book about the Golden State Killer, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, mm-hmm. the way they caught that guy mm-hmm. was because some... Far off relative of his did a 23andMe test. Yep. And they tracked it to him. I'm letting all my cousins know (laughs) I'm doing this. And so if you've done some dirty stuff, they're going to find you. I mean, I say that, so it makes me slightly hesitant. But then I'm like, why do I care if they catch some relative of mine who might be a serial killer? I don't care about that. Go ahead. Catch him. I'm sorry, but I got to find out where I'm from. Okay. Well, I want to hear all about it. Yeah. Yeah. It might be like when I I did one of those for one of my dogs and they gave me like (laughs) five different breeds. That's okay. I fully expect that I'm going to be a mutt. That's all right. Okay. So I I would say I'm as excited as I get about anything. I'm excited about that. So can I mention two books that are coming out, I think this fall, that I'm like super excited to read? Sure. So one of them is a Jesmyn Ward book. Oh, yes. It's called Let Us Descend. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it. Because you're a fangirl. You're a uh, Jesmyn Ward fangirl. I don't girl. like that term, but okay. And then Alex Harrow has a new book coming out called Starling House. Yes, she does. And so I'm like, well, I guess I know what I'm getting myself for Christmas this year. Those are coming out, and I am pretty excited. My goal, though, is to read the book that I got myself for Christmas last year before this Christmas. Which what? was Leech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that yet. You have to keep us posted. We'll have to see if you do oh, Leech. Yeah. I don't set goals like that because I never make them. I know. <laughs> we we discussed that I'm task-oriented. I set, yes. I write it down on my to-do yes. list. And if it's on the to-do list, I will get it done so I can mark it off the to-do list. Yeah, my mind doesn't really work doesn't exactly work like, like that. that. No, no. Well... What do we have to say? What do we have to say for ourselves, Carrie? Uh, nothing. But anybody who's listening to this has wasted a good hour of their time. So, <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> Hopefully, it wasn't a waste. Hopefully, it was fun. Go add to your list of Hispanic and Latino authors so that you too can celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Tell us uh, what books you think we should we should add to this list. We'll see you next time. Bye. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabooklover.pod and on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. And if you want to give us a birthday present, 
you you could tell other people about our show or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Tell a friend. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org.